0: So when somebody comes to you and they say, man, I had a rough day, there's two ways to respond. One is, oh yeah, tell me about it. That's a support response. The, oh, I had a tough day too, is the non-support response. And right there is the little switch that you could switch. And I've caught myself doing it many times myself. It's like, oh, look at that. I just hijacked the conversation from them to tell a story I had about the same subject. And if I was paying attention, I'd see their face drop a little and their shoulders drop and they, they just want conversation. They want to be heard. They want to be validated or well, that's a great story, but to immediately hijack it. And there was these 2 this moment of choice where you could say, me too, or tell me about it.
1: Welcome everybody to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Preble Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners. Family. Friends. Co-workers. Neighbors. Relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of What Makes a Generous Conversation. And I sure do have a generous conversation with a returning guest and one of my besties, one of my best friends, Greg Lavoie. And Greg was recently visiting from Santa Cruz, California. And that is one of his fortes of having a generous conversation. You know, one that really goes back and forth, where you really feel heard and seen, really understanding that play of being interested and curious of what your conversational partner is saying, how to hold space with it, the balance, not to be a talkaholic, how to make real generous room for each other. So let me tell you a little bit more about Greg Greg is an author and a speaker, and his work and his passion is helping people get to the heart of what makes them passionate. His work is about what makes people come alive, both in finding a passion in his first book, Callings, Finding and Following an Authentic Life, and in Living Passionately, which he wrote in his latest book, Vital Signs, Discovering and Sustaining Your Passion for Life. And you can learn more about Greg in the show notes. And when you listen to him, you can tell he is a passionate individual. And that's why I love him. And that's why I love having conversations with him. So before we get on with the episode, I just want to put out that if you or your organization are interested in sponsoring any of my episodes, you can contact me at heartsharecounseling.com. And we can have a generous conversation about it. And don't forget, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. So, I hope you're enjoying this conversation. It was pretty engaging and interesting. to be back in the studio with my boy and it's what's wonderful is how I love when we are together we just have beautiful connections because we have beautiful conversations and we've dubbed them as generous conversations Mm. we've had that from day one and so it's wonderful to hang out with you as opposed to really being challenged by somebody that that just can't give me what I want so I Mm. love having that that friendship with you
0: well there's Part of the definition, I guess, of communicate is it's shared. That's the primary thing. Shared understanding is mm. what it actually means, and co-communication. <laughs> and yeah, I agree with you. Most people don't get it, and I love that about our conversations. We're interested in the other guy,
1: mm. and that's that's the basis of it: is being interested and curious the last podcast I did around curiosity, but it's so important around a conversation. Yeah, Being really curious so that you get to know and be really know what the experience of
0: the other person is. So, Krista Tippett from NPR, I guess you said she did uh, one of her episodes on it, and I've heard her talk about generous listening, Mm -hmm. and that the heart of it is having curiosity, having an interest in the other guy, not just waiting for your turn to talk, and, I just flashed on when I heard her say that, just my relationship life, conversations I have had in my life. And I hate to say it, but the bulk of it seems like not generous listening and a lot of different varieties of it, Mm -hmm. a lot of different settings. But wow, I'm always surprised when somebody's actively asks me questions about themselves and don't use it as a boomerang. Because it's like, for most people, it's meant to come back to them. They'll ask you a question, but they'll use it to bring the conversation back to themselves. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the game of catch. That's why I love catch so much, right? (laughs) Throw the ball, somebody
1: keeps it for a little bit and throws it right back, and you do that. Sometimes I've used that in counseling. I actually take a little ball, and I would say something, talk, and then ask a question. I would throw the ball to that person. (laughs) That's their cue to answer it and if they're going on and on and on I put up my hand to like it right. right and use that a lot of men yeah. really relate to that
0: and, that part and you'll take out the your actual mitt sometimes <laughs> when they're really not getting
1: it they're not getting it I'll beat them in the head <laughs> right yeah. yeah but there is something about that part of
0: it to back and forth and not just a monologue right exactly I've fantasized sometimes because I run into talkaholics a lot. And and there's, somebody told me once, there's a, talk, there's a 12-step group for talkaholics. It's called On and On Anonymous. <laughs> anyway, um, so I run into this a lot and I imagine myself one day having the courage to say, just hold up my hand in a T gesture with my two hands, like time out. So you're doing all the talking and I'm doing all the listening. I'd rather share the conversation. And if you're Willing to do that, that would be great. If not, I think I'll just go mingle some more. And I've never had the courage to actually say that. Mm. I've practiced that in my head because it sounds like kind of a workable way to say it that would leave people with their dignity and all that. I've done that a few times in
1: that conversation that we had. Yeah, I've done that a few times. After I did the podcast or I was doing a podcast on Talkaholics and it was bringing that up more about being able to, I don't want to be... I call them time stealers.
0: Vampires.
1: Yeah. The aspect of taking that and being able to put up a boundary without it being blaming and shaming. Yeah. Like you you Trigger their defenses. Yeah. I wonder how many people would actually have the consciousness to like realize, thank you. I I do do that. I I want to change. And I think that when people realize it and they want to change to have a generous conversation, that's when they'll do it. If they don't realize it and they just, oh yeah, I'm just a talker. People always tell me a talker but they don't want to change
0: it. No. Even at the end of some of these conversations, I've had people say, oh, I realize I, I've been doing all the talking. So they're, some of them are aware of it. Uh, they always apologize at the end. It's, <laughs> it's like people who, you know, you, you go out to dinner with them and at the end of the dinner, they say, this one's on me. Right. And you're like, so why didn't you tell me that in the beginning when, <laughs> when I could all the appetizers were- Yeah, <laughs> when I could have ordered lobster tails with drawn butter sauce instead of a sandwich. <laughs> But speaking up, part of it is, to those of us who feel, in a sense, victimized by people's selfishness conversationally, do we speak up? Well, you told me stories of old girlfriends and one uh, story that you had with an old girlfriend. You spoke up to that. Yes, I did. Because in that case, it's not like you're not gonna see this person again or you rarely run into them. You have to do something if you're gonna live with them. But yeah, she could talk with the best of them. And she could go on for half an hour and share stories and I'd be into it and it'd be an interesting storytelling. And then when it was like my turn to talk, she would visibly begin to yawn. And I pointed it out, you know, in the nicest way. It's like, ouch. No, that was her cue that she wanted to go to bed with you, right? That, that was her
1: romantic cue. Which one? <laughs> the, the yawning. Like, let's the, go to yeah, bed. Oh, I see. I misread that altogether. <laughs> that does happen. That,
0: that's why uh, you broke up. If, yeah, you missed that cue. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah. So no. she yawned. Yes. And didn't, wasn't aware of it. we just trying to stifle it with her hand sometimes. And I, so I just would stop and go, so I want to point this out, you know, that you're yawning when it's my turn to talk, but you're totally engaged when it's your turn. And it was an issue. It was just an issue throughout. And she had a lot of motivation. We were talking about what will motivate people to be curious about the other guy. She had a lot of motivation to be Curious, because she wanted to keep the relationship. And you would tell her that's one way to yes. keep the relationship. And consistently nicely, and that didn't make her change. So it's pretty, sometimes it's pretty ingrained in people to to be self-oriented.
1: Mm-hmm. And also I find that when they have good listeners, boy, they, they just latch on, they oh, love it, right? My God. So you're such a good listener, and also you ask great questions. So it's great for a passive person yeah. to, to do that. I know, so, they yeah. just
0: feel like, oh, here's somebody who will hear my story.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the key to the curiosity piece, I think, is asking questions. It's like you said, asking questions about the other guy and taking an interest in what you hear. It's like, wow, here's this complete alien. I've never met this human being before. I wonder what they're like. Yeah. What kind of experiences have they had? Pay attention, because it'll make the, at least the conversation, of not the relationship, deeper and more interesting. And not conclude. Yeah, and it's not all about I mean, you. I mean, I mean, if you really listen to yourself, the stories that you're telling other people with great gusto—how many times have you told those? Yeah, lots. Right? And yeah. it's like, don't you want to hear some new stories? How about asking the other guy? Uh, how about just coming up with some new stories?
1: <laughs> how many people do you think actually are having friendships or relationships that they know they're not getting satisfied in their conversation, <sighs> and they're and they're staying in it and and suffering in some way? That, I'd, I'd say a majority I would say high. of. High. Yeah. I would say a very high percentage. Yeah. So if you're out there doing that, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, it's like realize that there's an acceptance to that, but you're the one person that can make that change, whether right. you're the one that realizes that you're doing or you're the receiver on the end. I mean, right. Change the dynamic. When one part of the system shifts, the system has to shift. Right. Do a different
0: dance. Yeah. And yeah. there are ways to practice that. There are groups of people and organizations that are d- devoted to helping people improve communication skills. Wow. I mean, you teach it. Yeah. There are ways to learn some of these things. But like you said, you have to admit it to yourself first. Hmm. But maybe it's harder for people to admit it to themselves when nobody points it out to them. And I right. wonder if a lot of people are just too polite for their own damn good, including myself. That's probably it. And so what's the fear? What's the fear of telling <sighs> somebody? It's so strange. It's a fear that I'm gonna offend them when the truth is that they're offending me. <laughs> Mm. Uh, it's like when I sit in an audience at a conference and the keynoters droning on and on at the the lectern, looking down at reading pretty much reading notes, flicking his eyes up every once in a while, randomly up into the audience in that gesture that some public speakers seem to think passes for communication and connection, this ridiculous flicking of their eyes up. They're not looking at anything. And Yet, I'll squirm and play with my silverware and, you know, twist my, my napkin into origami shapes rather than get the fuck up and leave mm. and take care of myself in that situation of, of lack of communication. Mm. I'm often a, a little appalled at how I don't even do self care around that myself. I just like to harumph about other people. <laughs> and in that kind of setting, that's funny because, okay,
1: so maybe somebody will see you get up and leave, but it's not like right in the middle of a conversation with one on one. Right.
0: So that's more. Practical, you could practice that more. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I realize that I've been spending some of this t- <laughs> this time on the podcast, ratting out people who are talkaholics, but I just think there's so much communication that needs to happen in, in the world right now and such a need for dialogue and being heard. And right. when I look at the newspaper uh, and I have felt this way ever since I be- it was a cub reporter. When I look at the newspaper and I see these photographs of. A um, mob's yelling, and no matter what it is, whether it's a you know it's a gay rights mob or whether it's an anti-fascist mob or trying to get a president out of office, the, the the look on their face says the same thing to me over and over. Listen to me, listen to us. Don't talk at us, talk with us. Mm-hmm. I just see this cry to be heard. Yeah. What was it on uh, Bowling for Columbine?
1: What was Manson the musician? Marilyn Manson? Massacre. Yeah, the kids that did the, the massacre listened to Marilyn Manson and they were like blaming it on the music. Right. So Michael Moore had him inter- he interviewed him and he said, What would you say to these kids if you had a chance to talk to them before this? He said, I wouldn't say anything. I would listen to them. Mm. He was like the most profound person in that uh-huh. in that movie when when he said that. Uh-huh. It's like, nah, it's like I'm not going to tell them what's right or wrong. Listen right. to them. exactly.
0: What's going on for them? What's their pain? Right. What's their Jesus. suffering? Half the time, you don't even need to be more than a pet owner to understand how this works. If you have a dog and you neglect it, it will start chewing stuff. It will start misbehaving. The lack of attention gets acted out in all sorts of ways with animals and people. And I just think if they're if we're not heard, there's going to be explosions or implosions somewhere down the line. hmm and so I think the world needs the skill of being a generous listener. Yeah. I, I, you know who some of my heroes are in this arena? It's people who go and do NVC work mm-hmm. in the Middle East, yeah. nonviolent communication, conflict resolution with Arabs and Israelis both in the room. Or anybody who teaches social and emotional skills, what it's called in the school systems, mm-hmm. which is like relationship 101 shit. Yeah. That's, what, that's the heading that it goes under. So there are ways to model it. Like have you seen the one of the there's a teacher somewhere in the West Bank who had, uh, I don't know, kindergarten class, I guess, or first grade class. And she would line them all up outside the room. She would greet each one of them in person. and there were four like symbols on the wall. One was a handshake, one was a hug, one was a high five, and I can't remember what the other, maybe a fist bump. And so there were all these different ways that they could express how they're feeling that morning. And they'll point to one of them and either shake the teacher's hand or give her a hug or high-five And each kid had a chance to choose where they were that morning and mm. be validated by the teacher and greeted. Wow. Those kinds of skills will create people who know what they feel and have faith in what they feel and they're not scared so easily. when they have faith in their insides and they don't have this endless need to tell the same stories over and over and over to anybody who will halfway listen
1: and i think that people tell these stories at times to think oh we're similar i want to tell you something that also happened to me Mm. and so there's this need in some way to connect of similarities oh i went to italy let me tell you about oh my god but then that goes off to the direction of now Right at that point, now they're missing it because they just
0: cut that person's process off. exactly. So there was some study I ran across that was about, what did they call it? Um, Support language versus, what was the opposite of support language, like non-supportive language. So when somebody comes to you and they say, man, I had a rough day, there's two ways to respond. One is, oh yeah, tell me about it. That's a support response. The, oh, I had a tough day too. Right. is the non-support response. And right there is the little switch that you can yeah. switch. Right, And I've caught myself doing it many times myself. It's like, oh, look at that. I just hijacked the conversation from them to tell a story I had about the same subject. And if I was paying attention, I'd see their face drop a little and their shoulders drop and they, they just want conversation. They want to be heard. They want to be validated. Oh, well, that's a great story. But to immediately hijack it and there was this moment of choice where you could say, me too, or tell me about it. Yeah, right. And it's right there, and it's catchable. Yeah.
1: I told a friend of mine one time, he was asking me about some challenges that he and his wife were having. And I said to him, I said, you remember the other night when she was telling stories, and she was lighting up, and and everybody around the table was laughing and also asking more, but she was lit up, right? I said, are you... Asking and inquiring so that she could tell more of those and that she can get a chance instead of hearing all of your stories over right. and over and over again. There's such a difference when she's just playing passive and listening new as opposed to her telling her stories. And right. he like realized it. It's like, oh, wow. But you know what? He didn't. It, that lasted for like about a week. Uh-huh. And that's it. So I think that we talked about earlier, what is the motivation for people to wanna change and have generous conversations if they're not even genuinely curious? And I think one challenge is they have to find the motivation, right? The, the motivation of the outcome of what they want.
0: Yeah, and I would imagine you'd get some of it if you tried listening to, say, your partner really intimately and ask questions. And it may make them suspicious in the beginning because if they're not used to hearing you do stuff like that, they may wonder what the hell's up. Um, but you could just say, I, don't, I just feel like trying something different with you. So play along, <laughs> humor yeah. me. But I would imagine that if somebody who was a talker did more listening, or for that matter, somebody who was a listener did more talking, yeah, right. um, they'd uh, they would get Good response back from their partner. Their partner would appreciate it and probably show them in some way. Maybe a kiss. Maybe, you know. And there's ways to
1: create that safety. I talked about in another podcast around doing a conversation where you put a timer on. And one of mm. you just talks for 10 minutes. Timer goes off. The other person talks for 10 minutes. You don't need to ask questions. You just let them talk. Right. And there's something about that beautiful expression that you know you're not gonna get interrupted or that you have to attend to the other person's agenda. Right, And that to me can start off an aspect of then a back and forth can happen
0: more. Right, and I sometimes push them one step farther when I do these dyads where they, one person has to ask the other questions and the other one has to respond to them. I say that you're gonna be mirroring each other afterwards just a little bit, just to feedback to them, this is what I heard you say. So pay a little extra attention. Because I've noticed that when I, the first quiz. time I- Yeah, there's <laughs> a spot quiz. Yeah. And I realized I, the first time it happened to me, I wasn't paying as much attention as I could have. You were
1: looking at her eyebrows. Yeah,
0: exactly. And yeah. this is kind of awkward and I wish this would stop or whatever.
1: Do I got food in my teeth. Yes, right. Yeah. But that goes on people's own self-consciousness, thinking about themselves and not really listening right. to the other person. Right, Every, everybody's
0: same. been in one of those circles where everyone goes around and, you know what, introduces themselves and says something about themselves or they all go around in a circle and they say, this is the takeaway from this for me today. And all you're doing most of the time, myself included, is waiting for your turn and thinking what you're gonna say that's gonna be poignant yet funny, and you know what I mean? Yeah. And you didn't really hear anybody else. Mm-hmm. So we're we're kind of tutored in not being good listeners. But you know, and I've I've had to find ways of teaching getting it taught to myself. Joining men's groups where there's ground rules about communications and talking sticks and immediate consequences if you're not present and paying attention. Like you know, what? Well, just feedback from guys is like, I feel like I just said something to you and you're you weren't there. Mhm. And so there's, there's a gentle confrontation. There's conflict resolution skills. Clearness committees, the Quaker tradition has taught me a lot about listening. Because for somebody who wants clarity about a calling, there's a circle of people, but this, the only rule is questions only. Mm. So no advice giving and no telling yourself. When
1: your am st- I gonna get a chance to talk? Exactly. Is that one of the questions? Yes, right.
0: <laughs> oh no, the questions that amuse me are the ones where, because the only rule is you, you can't give advice or. Problem solve or anything like that, but people try to slip it in by ha- having questions that go like this: "Don't you think?" Yeah, right. You know, leading <laughs> yeah. the witness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's ways to learn the skills. I guess was what is what I mean. Um, practicing the power, the influence that it has on people when they're really heard. That's what you see in the Clearness Committee when people are the center of only inquisitive um, uh, attention not accusatory right. <laughs> attention yeah. or devil's advocate questions, which are always a little heavy on the devil and a little light on the advocate. And yeah. they blossom. They just, sometimes they're, they're in tears. And sometimes they report being nervous because I'm not used to being the center of attention. Right. So people have all kinds of reactions, but God, they just, they bloom when they're just asked questions and listened to. In fact, the Quakers call it listening each other's souls into discovery. Ooh, I like that. Isn't that beautiful? Mm -hmm. So how have you learned the skills?
1: Well, being a counselor, I get a lot of practice to be able to really intently listen, but interject an emphasis to point out things perhaps that people aren't seeing. So I got my listening skills so you remember a time when you were not a generous listener? You know, no. know. I think even growing up, I was a really good listener. I listened a lot. I was more shy speaking than I was listening. So I think I always, I always had that skill. I remember my father when I lived with him as a teenager and he was dating a lot. He dated a lot of different women, really, really sweet women that he would be on the phone with them and he would say, you know what, hey you know, how about I buy you a cup of coffee and and you get to talk about that to me. He mm-hmm. was a very generous listener. Uh-huh. These women loved just talking to him. And, and a lot of them turned out to be his friends afterwards when the dating thing didn't work out mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. that he had this beautiful listening ear and gave people space. So I think that sat with me like, oh. ah, that's a good thing to do with women, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, is to listen. You know, these women loved my father. Right. So my grandfather, both my grandfathers were quieter and they listen more. So I felt safe around them. They would ask me a question. They would generally listen. They wouldn't pontificate after that. Mm-hmm. They would ask perhaps another question. So I think I grew up around pretty good environment for me to cultivate listening. Wow, yeah, you had good role modeling. hmm yeah. Certainly. And I consider when I think about you being such a good, curious listener, too, I think of you as like, like being an emotional journalist. <laughs> yeah, that's a good description. I, I tell people an emotional journalist doesn't conclude. They ask a question. They keep asking questions to find out more of what's going on. Yeah. And ever since I met you, you've been scoop
0: la boy. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just an investigative reporter. <laughs> nice. I mean, that's good, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's
1: good, I've never thought of that before. But isn't it true (laughs) that in order to be curious of other people, you gotta be curious of
0: yourself, right? You gotta Um, be a curious world. I think maybe you just gotta be curious, period. So now that you mentioned it, I think of my father. He taught me, because he was a scientist and he was fascinated by the world, and he taught us, he played the alien game with us, where he was an alien and we were earthlings and we had to explain the place to him. So curiosity, he just taught me the skill of curiosity. And I became a reporter and I got to ask questions for a living. And as a teacher, I pretty much, that's my M.O. So I'm still the reporter that I've always been.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Interesting. But you
1: have a genuine curiosity of just life. You know, yeah. Because, I mean, you're, you you write about and teach about passions. And right. You're very passionate in that.
0: All right. Do you think that can be learned? Well, I think you can find things that you're passionate about and then you'll be passionate. Um well, especially if you don't have a horde of negative voices telling you, you better not. And a lot of people, of course, do, for one reason or another. Do you think
1: passionate people are more curious people with others? Like, or do you think that they, there's people more that just, they
0: express the passion and-,
1: and That's really all they than, wanna do. Right.
0: To anybody with an earshot. Mm-hmm. No, I think people who have tremendous passion can often be the biggest talkaholics because they wanna spread the gospel mm-hmm. and that's all they live to do. And they're insensible to the fact that people are falling into freaking comas around them. Talking about their stamp collection. For well, four hours. whatever. <laughs> their latest killer app or their trips right. to Bali or whatever. Yeah. Or their family of origin stories. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, I, um, I feel like it's a high art, maybe in some ways. Yeah. Definitely something people can practice. Mm
1: hmm. Did you choose women that you wanted to have more generous conversations with? with As I, mean, I got older. Yeah.
0: Yeah, to the point when the woman I married and was married to for 20 years taught me a lot about it, frankly.
1: Is she a better listener than you?
0: I, I think so. Hmm. Yeah. She wasn't afraid of the emotional places like I was at the time. She was p- pretty fearless in many ways in that department. Just taught me a lot about sitting with stuff. And that would probably be something that um talkaholics have to do in order to, to become ex-talkaholics is confront what makes them talk so much. For instance, what happens if you're quiet? Hmm. What comes up for you? Yeah. Um, what if you were to just look at the person rather than talking at them? Yeah, that vulnerability of just Whoa, that, that I mean, distance between, that's nothing said, but Jesus. so much is being- Most people are like radio DJs that way. There's dead air in a conversation and they panic. right? And they're just rifling through the drawers in their brain looking for something, any damn thing to say. And I've actually used that impulse to my advantage as a reporter, because in an interview, if um, a silence falls into a conversation, somebody's gonna break it. right? And if that somebody's not me, it's going to be them. And they're often breaking it with something juicy and revealing and contrary to their better judgment. (laughs) And I've had my share of irate phone calls on the day after an article of mine appeared from somebody who said, I never said such and such. And then when I send them a copy of the audio tape of the interview proving that they did in fact say such and such, they're like, well, I, I didn't mean to say that. And I'm like, your, I, I can't help you with that. Your mouth, you, you know, your brain was in park, and your mouth was in drive. Do you,
1: do you do you think that that's actually there's truth to that at all? I didn't mean to say that. I have a hard time with that. It's like, what do you mean you didn't mean to say it? Part of you did because you said it. Said it.
0: Yeah, he just means I regret that I said right, it. Right. Exactly. I could have said it a different way. Yeah. But. And this makes me sound stupid or something or right. like a liar or whatever in print. Right, Something happens between the mouth and the page. But anyway, um, I've actually used that tendency to my advantage of people being nervous about presence, silence mm. in a conversation. When I was in the
1: corporate world and studied about Japanese business, and one of the things that they're so good at negotiating is <sighs> they hold the silence well. And they know, especially with Americans, they know that Americans aren't good at silence. They're gonna divulge all kinds of information. When I was consulting with the American side of the corporations, I would tell them like, no, 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 look, you gotta be comfortable with some silence in negotiation because you can't give over your hand. They would just wait and they would just (laughs) nod, not say anything and the Americans thought that they were stupid, that the Japanese businessmen were stupid, that they didn't really understand what was going on Mm. or they didn't know English so well. So they would just keep divulging and one tactic was, to have the silence because they know the other
0: person is going to do that move. I remember my dad was one of the first businessmen who went to China during the Nixon administration as a businessman. And he said they used to drive him crazy because they would wait until they were going back to the airport at the end to start the serious was, negotiation. Right. <laughs> it's like, some. what were they doing? They needed yep. trust building or yep. something else needed to happen first. Yeah. Some type of
1: connection of... Yeah, getting to know each other on another level. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just even a thing of just sharing meals without having business conversations don't make it all about business.
0: Yeah, and you know, we're talking about the possibility of dropping silence, for instance, into over-talkers' conversations. And I mean, I've had a couple of experiences with silence that show me why people are afraid of it. Mm. I mean, anybody who meditates probably knows this. People are scared of the quiet and... The dark and their eyes are closed and they're just there with themselves without being distracted. Yeah. It's close to death, right? Kind of nerve wracking. Right. And I've been to like the Trappist monastery in somewhere in Kentucky, Gethsemane, Garden of Gethsemane where Thomas Merton is buried. And um, they practice the vows of silence. So you go there for a retreat for four days and you're sitting across these very narrow wooden tables in the dining hall, eating a meal, and you're as close as you and I are to one another and you're not speaking the entire time. Nobody looks at one another.
1: Eye
0: contact immediately breaks off when there's silence. People are looking at their plates and up at the ceiling. So that's kind of interesting. Nobody's compassionately, religiously gazing at each other. Uh, it's just- Because isn't that made for lovers, the, right? The gays. Or, or yeah. enemies. Enemies, that's right. <laughs> maybe it's a hostile mm. looking, it's looking at somebody without speaking. Right. It's like, what you looking at? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. And there's some fear about presence with each other. Mm. I think that's at maybe partly at the heart of some of the fear of being a listener. Even, like you said, listening down into yourself. So a generous exercise, a generous conversation
1: exercise also could be for couples just to be in silence mm. and be friends just to be in silence. Yeah. So really, I, I did that at a, a workshop with Esalen with my cousin, and there was an exercise that we did. He was in his early 20s. I was in my early 30s. And it was beautiful experience to... Have silence and gaze lovingly in his eyes and send whatever vibration that I wanted to also send or receive and just have that intimate moment, especially with another man and my oh, family yeah. member, not speak. Right. And, but like you're saying, other people aren't comfortable with that. But I think that it'd be a wonderful exercise for couples to spend more conscious time in silence with each other, but with looking at each other. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's something quite powerful and potent and scary about that level of presence with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, I've certainly, anybody who's taken one of those personal growth workshops where they have you just look at one another, like maybe knee to knee without talking, knows how, you know, how nerve wracking it can be. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, look at this. Here we are just sitting, looking at another person. And I'm acting like I'm on high alert or something. Mm-hmm. Or I'm sweating. Why am I sweating? What is so hard about this? What is here that's so terrifying? But then I, I,
1: again, that's being curious of themselves. It's uh-huh. all own process, right? right? Instead of I like, shouldn't be sweating.
0: I, I wonder what's going on. I wonder on. why. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's that must be like why I shared at the dinner table the other night of Isaac Asimov's comment. He said the great phrase in science, the one that heralds new discoveries, is not "Eureka." It's "Hmm." That's funny. But turning that onto yourself, I wonder, and you know, the alien game that my dad played me was useful later on for investigative reporting because I turned that game to my inner world. I wonder what that dream meant, you know? I wonder why I keep choosing the same kind of partner or I wonder why I do that or I wonder why I have such a strong reaction to this. You know, I turned the alien game Hmm. inward cuz the alien game was just him asking questions about the planet that he saw. It's like what are clouds and what is a staircase and you know what are these things you have called dreams. That's what I did. I turned it inward. My dad wasn't interested in that world.
1: And was he interested in you? You know, he was doing that curiosity outside with the alien game. But did you ever feel that he was curious
0: of you? Yes, I think I did. Hmm. He was he seemed to like spending time with me and we would go out into the world and he was an explorer type he liked the he thought the world was fascinating but did he not want to know about your world mm well you not were so much no. no really not so much mm-hmm.
1: so no. he was teaching you curiosity of his interactions with the world with the world not so much of his
0: curiosity or interest in correct. you correct uh-huh. right yeah i think that's happened so much Yeah. parents now as for why i had the motivation in life to Learn how to do this stuff, I, just the way I'm wired, I think. Mm. Been that way since I was little. And my mom tells me I've been asking a lot of questions ever since I was little. Did you get that growing up too? It's like you're asking too many questions. No, never, thank God. No, I think uh, parents, it behooves them to be responsive to their children's curiosity. Because I read a book called Corner Office a couple of years ago, researching the Vital Signs book, uh, written by a New York Times columnist. New York Times columnist, named Adam Bryant. And he interviewed like 700 CEOs all around the country and asked them what qualities do you see most often in people who succeed? And the number one on their list was passionate curiosity. So it's kind of a master skill in many ways. Mm -hmm. Passionate curiosity. Right, and then they have to then bring it into conversation, right? (laughs) Yeah, into their personal life, not just their professional life. Right,
1: right. Exactly. Oh, right. Because some people are so curious of their own passion and interest and work, yeah. but they don't give equal time to something that's right. Mundane.
0: right. But yeah. you know, it has to be important to you to have connections with people and, and not just have, you know, lots of acquaintances and whose company you enjoy or even friends, but you don't go deep. Right. I mean, a lot of people can go a whole lifetime easily without that. Mm-hmm. So you really have to kind of want and feel like something is missing to want to seek it out and do the work it takes to Either get it or give it. Yeah. And one way of also like getting
1: it is even asking for a pause from somebody who's just talking and talking and Mm -hmm. talking. Sometimes I've been experimenting. Can can we just pause? There's a lot that I want to try to take in and digest. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's giving a clue of like, hey, you know, let's slow down here. Also, you're talking too much. But what's wrong with asking for a pause? Yeah. And so it's it's amazing that we don't do that because out of fear of making the other person uncomfortable.
0: I mean, I'm like that with, even with my own twin brother, we'll travel for a month together. And sometimes, sometimes within hours of each other, we know, both know when we need some space or at least in the course of an afternoon, wanting just quiet time. And how hard it is even to ask him, Hey dude, how about like 15 minutes of quiet? Hmm. And the one or two times I've done it, he's like, yeah, but why the hesitation hmm. can hurt his feelings? Uh-huh. Yeah, is it sending a signal out, I don't find you interesting, Right,
1: or, I don't want to converse with you? Or, I
0: think everybody understands, sometimes there's just too much talking, and it's nice to, I don't know, yeah. listen to music, or
1: Rainbow or does stop. that so much, you know, and her, like, she's so sensitive to so much of the talk, mm-hmm. and she really asks for it at times, she goes, you know, I need some just quiet right now, there's just so much talking going on. Wow. And, you know, something.
0: Folks in the listening audience, you should see her at a movie like Terminator. <laughs> She's not just Terminator, Lion King. The first movie that I took her to,
1: she was going nuts, man. She was like crawling all over the seats. My wife gets very affected. She's oh, wow. really sensitive.
0: I've never seen anything like well, it. Well,
1: we're watching movies in the other room. She gets up and just curls around the corner acts like she's not really looking, but she can't see some of those scenes oh, so wow. she can bolt out. Wow. So yeah, she has some sensitivity, <laughs> some beautiful sensitivity. But she knows when her cups are full, that's inspiring to me uh-huh. when she asks for it. You know, it's too much talking right now, I either need to go outside, I need to go for a walk, or can I just have silence? And that's really helped me because I, yeah. I before I would have did did, did, did did I would go on and on. Right. Yeah. And maybe there's also something I would imagine, you know, it not being her first language,
0: it's a lot of stimulus also coming. Plus, plus, I've read this, she belongs to a silence culture being a Scandinavian, Mm -hmm. as do the Apaches and the Navajos and the Japanese. We belong to a word culture, they say. That's the difference, silence cultures, word cultures. And word cultures, and I've seen these studies, the more you talk, and the faster, the more you're perceived as being credible and a leader. Whereas in silence cultures like rainbows, Danish, people who talk a lot, talk too much are um, considered abnormal, if not a little offensive. Mm. And I swear I've had this experience in Norway. Like a minute can go by between a question and an answer, which is enough to make a bunch of phone calls where <laughs> I come from. <laughs> Sell some stocks. Yes, and- <laughs> right. But over there, it's just normal. It drives the word culture types like me nuts. Wow! Um, so she, she probably that, does have that that's going interesting. on. I gotta check in with that. The man. silence culture thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And coming from Detroit,
1: you have to have a good game. We call it, you know, you had to get, had a good spiel to talk yeah, about
0: and be used to honking cars. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: But there is something in that cultural aspect.
0: But I didn't know that there was a
1: talking culture and a listening word
0: cultures and silence cultures. Word, Mm. Yeah, and Scandinavians are known to be silence cultures. Mm. Yeah, what are New Yorkers? (laughs) Jesus, definitely word cultures. Yeah, we were talking about interruption before, Mm -hmm. and maybe it's because I'm a New Yorker and we're used to doing everything on top of each other. But if you don't interrupt, they think you're not paying attention. (laughs) Exactly, and that's true, right? Yeah, I think it's true. Yeah, it's just not a joke. I think it's really true. Right? It's just there are just stylistic differences, but God, when you want to just be heard. Yeah. By somebody and have them really get you. Mm. you. You can't have the rapid fire, right? One story on top of another, two elbowing monologues instead of a conversation. Right. That's in most, most people have is two monologues that are kind of overlapping. Each yes, other. right. Yeah. And there's not necessarily, it could be great fun, of course, but not necessarily connection. The mm. kind of connection I think a lot of people are missing mm. and increasingly missing. Yeah. And especially women. You know, in my work,
1: especially women yeah. are missing that aspect of really feeling heard yeah. from their partner. Yeah. Well, here we go, man. Another generous conversation back and forth yeah. between you and I. and I don't know, we're like and, like you said, the sunset, we'll just stare into each other's eyes in silence. That's right. And the
0: listeners will just, you know, bear with. <laughs> normally on the air, dead air is just, you know, That's panic it. city. That's right. No, but cool. Yeah. This is this is good.
1: Back and forth. I right. enjoyed it. Right. I love having a conversation instead of just a blown out, straight out
0: interview. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's more engaging for both of us. There it is.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that, and it, a, after a generous conversation, I feel energetic. Mm-hmm. I don't feel drained. That's a big one. Yeah, that's a good diagnostic,
0: isn't it? Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's a great. So those of you checking in with yourself and your body, are you feeling drained after your conversation? Or are you feeling energized right. by that's that exchange? Good. Cool. Alright, brother. Thank you, man.
0: <laughs> Relationships, let's talk about it, is a production of Heartshare Counseling and Consulting, PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit HeartshareCounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It, is produced by Auxbus. You can create your own professional podcast today, faster and easier. Try it for free at auxbus.com. That's A-U-X-B-U-S dot com. Auxbus.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. oh,